Welcome to the Jesus Collective Podcast. We're a network that exists to provide relationships and resources to amplify a Jesus-centered movement, and we seek to embody a more hopeful vision of following Jesus in our cultural moment. Join us as we learn from those who are looking to live out a greater Jesus centricity in their areas of leadership and mission. If you're new to Jesus Collective, welcome. Check us out on social media or at JesusCollective.com for ways you can connect to this growing movement. Okay, let's get into today's podcast. Well, welcome to our viewing audience and listening audience. This is Jesus Collective Podcast. And with me as co-host today is John Hand. John, Happy New Year. Happy New Year, Paul. It is good to be the co-host. Uh, what would I be? The sub. The co-host sub with you in, like in a, Shauna's absence. Yeah. I feel like I have a rotating list of co-hosts this year. This part of it is like, we're going to talk to Shauna's boss today. Maybe he should like give her some more hours towards this. No I don't kidding. know. Right. No kidding. But it, it's an honor to be your second string, Paul. It's an yeah, honor. I'm, I'm honored that you would be honored. Really? really. <laughs> Can you believe that? Can you believe yes. that? Uh, and today on this podcast, I represent the only Canadian voice, another peculiarity. So that's good. We have a good all American minus me audience, which I'm, I'm down for. Get to <laughs> listen to, to our, our American friends. That's you included, John. Although do you, do you identify as binational? Is that kind of your thing or like, are you Canadian in some ways or I, I'm sure I've become Canadian after living in Canada for eight and a half years. I would, I still identify as an American. I'm an American citizen. So I would say American with a deep appreciation for Canada and what Canada brings to the world. Many good gifts. So good. Well, our podcast today, we have with us Pastor Brian Zahn and Pastor Greg Boyd. Welcome to the podcast, Brian and Greg. Good to be here. Yeah, I just want to, John. You're a really good number two. Okay, so just take pride in that. Oh wow, thank you. I Let feel the compliments fly at the start of 2024. Let's there you go. That. I I really am looking forward to this conversation. Like as far as like people I've listened to a lot in the last decade, certainly Brian and Greg. Like you're kind of like my pastors, right? Like I'm a pastor, but like. And I hear this from a lot of fellow pastors when I ask them, oh, who are some people that you just pay attention to? And they often name both your voices. So I feel like I'm hanging out with like a church staff team, like these people that have just been ringing in my head for many, many years. So I appreciate you taking the time. Thanks. Appreciate yeah. that. And to have you both in the same room, virtually, sure. of course. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. Um, but we'll be in the same room in April when we're together oh. at Unite. But uh, just that I think you you both are bringing angles uh, on the person and the wisdom and the genius and the priority and the centrality of Jesus. You're both bringing angles on that that are needed. And I'm just glad that we get to to bring your voices together in this conversation to really hopefully just talk about Jesus a lot uh, mm-hmm. in this time together. That's what I do. Yeah. So I, I, uh, will, I'll start this conversation, um, and I'll let you ask the first question, Paul, but I, we, um, we are starting 2024. I don't know if anybody's noticed in the U S context, it's an election year. Yes. And 
Oh my gosh. I know. Told me. I know. This is, this is news to you. I'm sure. <laughs> I'm sure no one in your church has signaled this. Certainly no one in our culture. Um, you know, there is, we're experiencing so much polarization and upheaval in the American context, but it's spilling over. Uh, as an American who moved to Canada, I live in Canada and the, the emotional anxiety in the U.S. washes up on our shores and makes it difficult to be a Christian, frankly, in the Canadian context because of all the, the fray labeled under the banner of religion or Jesus or Christianity at times. Um, and uh, just the, the way that church decline is happening so quickly and there's just so much disorientation and the sweeping in of new technology and AI, you know, creates the possibility not for unity, but for splintering diverse, like just splintering uh, divergence so that you even have within the Christian community, people who are losing the ability to even be in the same room and talk to each other when, when Jesus is Lord. Uh, and so I, we, we could go on for hours and I'll stop describing all of the problems. I would love for us to have a conversation about the opportunities. What, what is the opportunity for the church? Um, at Jesus collective, we believe that there's a, um, a flower, a flowering, uh, burgeoning movement of the spirit to make the person of Jesus a greater priority in the church and to highlight the relevancy of Jesus for our moment, for our time to the secular world, to the believing world. And, and so if there's a Jesus centered movement that's happening, what do, what is our part in it? What do we need to be paying attention to? What is this movement correcting for? What is it trying to renew in the church? These are some things that we want to explore with you guys today so that uh, movements like Jesus Collective, you know, we can do our part in helping point to this movement and resource it and provide a landing place for those being swept up in it, which is what I hope this conversation is, that we're being swept up in this Jesus Center movement. So that's a little bit of table setting and and we can dive in. Beautiful. Well, I appreciate you setting the table, John. And I'm, yeah, for our first question, I kind of want to go towards the pain point and then ask more of a kind of a hopeful question out of that. So the pain point, a recent study actually um, that came out said that 15% of the USA population, around 40 million Americans, North Americans, have ceased attending church in the last 25 years. They've described it as the great de-churching. There's there's something in the waters towards this. And I'm curious as you as you look at some of the tension points, the the rise in polarization, conflict, nationalism, even the climate crisis. And then you think about like this idea of Jesus saying to his followers on the Sermon on the Mount, you are salt and you are light. You are this preserving agent in the world. Um, what does this tell us about the ways we're not preserving well as the church? Um, what's not working right now in the church in North America? It's an open question. First one of you that wants to dive in. <laughs> well, Brian, take it away. I mean, either one of us could talk for 90 minutes on this, but uh, where to start? Well, uh, it's, it's such a big question. I don't know where to start. Let me think here. Um, 
the issue is we have we desperately need a clarification between the church that Jesus Christ is building and this thing called Christendom, which is more or less a conflation of empire and certain Christian ideas and thoughts, images, uh, that in one sense is, is becoming reaching critical mass in America and the expression of Christian nationalism, which, of course, Greg and I are both, you know, tremendous critics of. Um, but as I look toward the future, I expect the I, I expect church attendance to decline and maybe precipitously. But I don't say that with any kind of hand wringing anxiety. I, I just think that there is a future for the church that is chastened and diminished, but this is not necessarily bad. Um, one of the desperate things we need to do is once again reclaim our counterculture identity. Um, you know, the, we've made being a Christian and being an American almost analogous. But now we're going to start reaching a point where people are going to say, you know what, uh, I can pursue this agenda or that agenda, this political uh, aspiration without investing my Sunday mornings on it. Uh, and so I think you're having more and more people see the church as superfluous. And if and if the church is only a handmaiden to a political agenda, be it right or left, uh, then indeed it is superfluous. And so, I mean, I, I expect there eventually to emerge an honest, real, countercultural expression of the Jesus movement in America, but it's not going to be culturally dominant. It's not going to be enormous. And I, and I think I'm fine with that. And so, um, you know, both Greg and I have built relatively large churches, and we, we've done that. We, we, both of us also have figured out how to lose people. Too. <laughs> I was just saying, you guys have built, you guys have shrunk your churches pretty good, too. You know what I mean? Yes, we we should probably, the two of us should should conduct a church-shrinking <laughs> seminar, you know, because we're, we're, we're pros we at We'll feature that at Unite. <laughs> that, that could be a great breakout session. How to shrink your church. It's mm -hmm. right. So old uh, conference that. I forgot where I was. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. Okay, I, I just, so, yes. So I, I know how to I know how to do some things, but I also know there there comes these moments when you have to make some hard decisions. Hmm. And that happened in my life, you know, uh 15, 20 years ago. I mean, is when it really began, and I had to decide was I going to really be faithful to what I believe the Spirit was revealing to me about the nature of the kingdom of Christ, or was I going to just continue to take the path of least resistance and go ahead and and, and uh, baptize the assumed cultural values of America and then sprinkle a little bit of, you know, Bible dust on it? I mean, that can be done, and that has been done. I think what's happening, though, is we're going to reach the end of that being uh, something that is actually attractive to people. Exactly. And so we're we're going to lose—I mean, church attendance in America is going to come down, but I think in the midst of that, 
there will be churches that are that are that are countercultural and and holy and they'll seem odd and we should seem odd and I, so so as i on the one hand prophesy predict prognosticate a continued decline in church attendance there isn't anything in me that is pessimistic or despairing about that i think that's just an inevitable thing that lies ahead but in the midst of it there is all kinds of hope okay that's enough of that i'll let greg opine over to you greg well it's just jesus says that unless the seed falls into the ground he can't you know spring forth with life and so uh, the old's got to die to have something new being born. And I think what we've been witnessing, it goes back, you know, 100 years. But I, I see America as the last sort of roar of Christendom. Uh, it, it, it's Europe and it's it's died everywhere else. But here it's just kind of it's hanging on and really roaring big. Um, but but it, it's on its way out and, and it's, it's got to go. And so I, I share with you, that's not a bad news to me. Um, that, that's that's actually good news. That's got to die. Um and that that whole model of 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 conquest, the Christendom model of conquest, we're gonna is is uh, th- that that's gotta die with it. And so there's no longer the embarrassment about being small and meek and, and the mustard seed. You know, it, mm-hmm. it, we're called to be that distinctive thing. Uh, you know, I always thought that the uh, mustard seed would grow to be that tree, and it, we'd see that a lifetime historically or whatever, but. I, I now think that the, the kingdom is going to be a mustard seed for a very long time, maybe until just Jesus returns. But the question is, are we faithful to that to that calling, to be that mustard seed, to be that lamp that's lighting in the darkness? I think the biggest, what's missing, the reason why Christendom even came in, I think, and 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 uh, the church became this institution, and we lost the life that comes from being centered on Christ. And, and, and to the degree that we're not, really centered on Christ and getting our own life and worth and significance from Christ and making that the joy of our life, uh, unless that's strong, then that's when other forces come in and take his place. Uh, and, and so the only way to resist the ever-intensifying, it seems, the ever-intensifying forces of polarization and the idolatry of nationalism and the, you know, the baptizing of the culture and just assume, the only way to fight all of that is to have a vibrant center. Um, and at that center is Jesus Christ. Uh, and, and what we need is a revival of falling back in love with Jesus. I, I think the church, to a large degree, has lost its first love. And then we've got, you know, that's, well, no, what Jesus is about is voting this way and winning this cultural war and blah, 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 blah. No, everything we do has got to come out of this, this, this love uh, for the person of Jesus Christ and the God that he reveals. But the, so the challenge that we in Jesus Collective who are, Again, we're not we're not the Jesus centered movement. We're not we're not this awakening. We are we are trying to play a, a faithful role to point to it, to name that it's happening, to resource it, provide a landing place for those who want to coalesce around it. But what one of the things that we get is aren't all Christian churches centered on Jesus? Like, isn't the fact that we are Christian mean that Jesus is Lord? that he's our savior, he died for our sins, he resurrected to make new life possible, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So when you say the church needs to be centered on Jesus, the the pushback we get is, isn't the church just by default centered on Jesus? So can you speak to that? Because, you know, Brian, you're saying we need a chaste and diminished church. But we're going to have it. Right. 
But what is it? What is a Jesus centered church? How is it different than any other church that has Jesus in its name? Are you asking that for Brian or is that an open question? for I'm asking for you both. I'd love, I'd love to hear from you both on it. So yeah, there's two things that come immediately to mind. Number one, uh, to be Jesus centered means uh, when you think about God, you think about Jesus. You think about the character of Jesus. Jesus defines the character of God full stop. Okay? That's Jesus centered. Uh, in- instead of having a montage kind of conception of God where you're pulling from every part of the Bible and whatnot, uh, no, it's, it's Jesus centered. And the second thing is you make your life Jesus centered. Um, you're, you, 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 well, it's, it's, devotionally, he's at the center. But also then in terms of uh, role model, you pattern your life on him uh, and and work and to cultivate the kind of mindsets and the kind of habits and the kind of relations that 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 he did because you're a disciple of his. And, um, and so so it, it's not first and foremost. So there's a claim. Yeah, every just confess Jesus Christ the Lord, whatever. But the question is, how did that cash out in terms of your actual life, in terms of your actual conception of God, the way that you look at the world, the way you understand yourself? Uh, to be Jesus-centered means he's at the center of all those things. Yeah, and I think when we say Jesus-centered, in, in to a certain extent, this is a little bit of a pushback on the phrase biblical. The problem with the phrase biblical is what isn't biblical. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you approve yeah. just find what you like. Yeah. Genocide is biblical. Wars of genocide, wars of conquest, women held as property, slavery. It's that we all know this. These are nationalism. So uh, we're saying, well, no, no, we have to read the whole of Scripture in the light of Christ. Jesus Christ is the interpretive lens of Scripture. I know that's not exactly our topic, but I think that's part of what's going on. Another thing, though, is... When we speak of Christendom, this conflation of church and state that begins with Constantine 17 centuries ago uh, led to the catastrophe in the two world wars in Europe where millions upon millions of Christians are killing one another in the name of national allegiance. And then we're seeing its last gasp, I agree with Greg, here in North America. Um, When we speak of Christendom, or even Christian nationalism to, a, to an extent. I know I know it's very easy to critique uh, the right on that because that's very visible, very vocal, in my estimation, very ugly. But there are, there's also a left version of it. Mm-hmm. And the problem with Christian right and Christian left is that in both scenarios, Christian is reduced to adjective duty to the all-important political noun. What really matters is right or left, conservative or progressive. And then Jesus is sort of trotted out as a mascot to endorse their team. And this is what this is what uh, Karl Barth was criticizing in a not entirely dissimilar context in 1930s Germany when he said, Christ cannot serve, Christ can only rule. What he means by it, he doesn't mean that Christ cannot enact that of a servant. He doesn't mean that. He means Christ cannot serve some other interest because he has his own kingdom. And so, unless we see, until we we see the kingdom of Christ, um, see, see, what happens is if if we if we make Jesus subversive, not subversive, submissive to a 
or subservient to a political agenda, then politics just takes over. Just, I mean, no pun intended, politics trumps everything. Well, it's the new religion. Unless you seek the kingdom of Christ. And then you understand that there is no easy conflation with the politics of this world and the politics of Jesus. Um, so I'm not saying that I'm not saying that that the kingdom of Christ is apolitical. I don't mean that at all. I mean it does inform our by if political we mean just our our desire for the common good within the polis and how we're going to achieve that. Christ informs that, but Christ has his own kingdom. So let me just let me bring this section to a close by saying this. It's not our job to change the world. If we think as as Christians, our job is to change the world, then the lure of the most coercive and quickest means of attaining that end will be, it'll be like, it'll be like the ring of power in the Lord of the Rings. And we will not be able to resist it. And we will grasp for Caesar's sword and we'll do it in the name of we're going to do good. Uh, But it will corrupt us in the end. Our job is much more modest. Our task is to be (laughs) part of the world already changed by Jesus. And that's enough. Jesus is the savior of the world, not us. Our job is to simply be that part of the world already changed by Jesus. And if you say to me, well, that's how we change the world, I'll say, shh, don't, don't, don't be too pointed about it. Because then we're once again beginning to believe that our task is to change the world. They we're talking about changing the world. I, I, I'm with this change what you really mean is we're going to change the world. I gotcha. <laughs> what we're going to do is just allow Christ to change us within the world. We're, we're, we're present within the world, already changed by Christ. That's, I think, how we're salt and light. Well, and that's how we're, that's why we're doing the first fruits, right? We're supposed to be the, the fruit ripened ahead of time. Yeah, exactly. I tell you what, what, what ripened fruit really looks like. Um, yeah, it's uh, Stanley, the already. Yes, the already Yes. It reminds me, famously said, the first task of the church is to make the world the world, which mean, which he, by which he means the church needs to be something radically other so that there is actually a distinction between the right. church and the world. Right now, there, <laughs> I think that's not really the case most of the time. I was actually just about to say that. So that's really great that you you quoted old Stanley for me before I got there. I did it without cussing. You. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> good. He couldn't do that without cussing. I mean, oh, I know. That's <laughs> love my Stanley over us. Okay, kind of coming and kind of pushing a bit more on this. I'm curious. You've spoken, both of you, both directly and indirectly, about this kind of like chastening this refining of the church the sort of like a reordering of our allegiance uh faith by allegiance alone um i'm I'm curious this chaste church that you speak of if you could imagine a church that could rid itself of nationalism that could reorder its allegiances what would that have to offer in this cultural moment uh, in the context of what is being lost um, and the longings that that my generation and the generations after me are having, what does the church need to be about? What are we missing out on um, that? Especially this refining pro- yeah, go ahead. Especially if we're not changing the world. Like, like well, most evangelicals hearing that react to that. So, like, oh, if we're not changing the world, 
Let me boast a little bit. I really think you can see a model of that at Word of Life Church here in St. Joseph, Missouri. Um, everybody knows we've been through a tremendously tumultuous time politically in America. When I, I don't want to use past tense. We are passing through it. It's going to get worse before it gets better. Hmm. I can tell you it has not been a problem in our church. It just hasn't. Um, and our church is not a political monolith. We pretty much represent the spectrum of political ideas within our congregation. I'm, you know, I, I think that's fair to say that. But what has happened is uh, we have been able, through process of you know preaching the kingdom, discipleship, prayer, um, where people know that our culture is you have you can have your political opinion, but you have to hold them loosely, and you have to prioritize kindness. I, I describe it like this: without make it wasn't a program, it wasn't something we directly set out to do, but I think just by being who we are, we've created a culture of kindness. So at our church, at Word of Life, you can have a political opinion because people do, but you can't be ugly about it. You can't be mean. You can't be mocking of others that don't share it. Because and that would just be within our our church would go. Yeah, we're not that. We don't. That's not how we are here. That that would be rude within our culture. Um, and so I, I'm worried about the church in America at large passing through the next however long. I, I mean, maybe I'm maybe I'm overconfident. I don't think I am. I'm not really worried about the congregation at Word of Life. We'll be fine. And so, so that, that kind of reality is possible. Now, you're not going to get there. Okay, I'll preach a six-week sermon on it. No. <laughs> I mean, for us, I would say this is a result of the last 20 years of what we've been doing. Mm. So, but you might as well start today. <laughs> if it takes 20 years, you might as well get That's started. Right. Yeah, I, I, right. I totally, I think you're right, Brian. It's uh, the, 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 so important to have created a culture where you have those kind of virtues installed, where there's kind of understanding about your priorities and to, and to have cultivated that prior to the time where there's an election happening, everyone's going, oh, the world's falling apart. You know, to have a, you know, that's, that's it. No, I, I find it does get dicey sometimes uh, after the George Floyd murder. You know, there's times where you speak out on, uh, what is racist and, and all the rest. Yeah, and, and I did lose a few people over that. And I was shocked because I didn't, I thought we were beyond that, but yeah. 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 And, and, and so, yeah, there's, there's, time, and in, in America, everything's gotten so polarized. Yeah. That you can't say anything without it being translated into political categories. And yeah. you, you know, Jesus love your enemies. Oh, so you're a left you know, wing. Yeah. Uh, it, it, it's just, uh, it, it's, so you have to, I mean, at some point, you know, call the shots as you see them and, and ha you have a, hopefully you've created in your congregation, at least a culture that understands, uh, you know, the, the priorities and can make sense out of that. But uh, in the broader culture, it can get, I mean, it, it's, it, everything gets is fuel for the fire. Unfortunately, uh, John, you mentioned earlier about how, you know, the, the water that washes up on Canada makes it hard for, to be Christian. Well, <laughs> Think about what it is when we're swimming and we're. we're <laughs> I believe the word is drowning. We live there. Yeah. And you're in the Bible, but Brian, and I, I, oh, I, I tell I, you, yeah, it, you because I, I, my faith gets challenged just traveling through there. So, you know, hands <laughs> off to you. No, uh, but I'm yeah, it, it, 
it is uh, the, the Christian witness here has been so, um, you know, been taken over. And and uh, um, so uh, even the word Christian, I, I, I don't when someone asks me, are you Christian now? I, I don't you know, automatically answer yes. I, I it started when I no longer answered you know, evangelical, but now it's even the Christian because it gets so loaded. And yeah. and uh, I, I want a chance to offer a fo- po- folks a, a a glimpse at an alternative Jesus before they dismiss the one that they think I'm going to talk about, you know? So, yeah. uh, yes. But, but I'm, I'm curious, like, so I think I'm hearing, okay, so what does a chaste and diminished church do if it's not changing the world? Mm-hmm. So I'm hearing that you're creating a you're creating a place for us to come together in differences with a under the under the lordship of Jesus. When you look at all of the other kind of pain, electrifying and anxious culture in an anxious time, whether that be the anxiety and depression of our moment, mental illness or the, the complete utter cynicism that people live with in the shadow of climate change. Like I have Gen Z kids and there's a, if they weren't Christian and even on a, you know, on a bad day, there's just a complete despair about the future. Mm-hmm. And when you think about the polarization and a polarized church has nothing to offer a polarized world. And we are a polarized church because one of the reasons why maybe there's not so much discord in churches is that you have now right churches and left churches. So there's no, everybody just agrees because they've run off everybody else who's not them politically. So, you know, when you look at these things, what I'm going to press you again, what is the, what does the church have to offer this moment? If it is a Jesus centered church that might be unique from what other churches are trying to do in this moment. As at word of life, as we have grown in recent years, and we have, um, you have people that are just finding Jesus for the first time. But we also have two other categories of people. We have people who come from real hardcore religious right mega Christianity that that's finally just driven them crazy and they come toward life. But we also have a whole host of people that have come from very ultra progressive Christianity who decided, you know, we'd actually like to believe in something. We'd actually like to believe that Jesus is raised from the dead. <laughs> we, we, we'd, we'd actually like to believe that Jesus mm. is the true God of true God. Mm. And so they, they've come in equal numbers, probably, from both sides of the spectrum. And I don't know how else to say it. It's, it's, we just, we're Jesus, Jesus, we're, we're, I don't know, we're a Jesus church. And I don't know, that this sounds, it sounds trite, or it sounds proud, or it sounds, I don't know, it doesn't sound good. I'm not, I'm not happy with how I'm communicating this, but I'm just telling you it's the truth. And that um, one of the, one of the ways I've resisted the Christian nationalists is I'm just not going to surrender Jesus to them. They can have the word evangelical because I never claimed it anyway. Uh, they are not getting <laughs> Jesus. And I will out Jesus them, and I will say, "Oh, you want to talk about Jesus? Let's talk about Jesus." But, but which Jesus? Because right and left are doing this. There's mm. there's there's progressive Jesus. There's conservative Jesus. There's Trump Jesus. There's like I'm in Canada. There's Canada and, and let's Jesus. Have the discussion. 
Let's have the discussion and let's go to the primary text. Let's go to the Gospels. And, uh, you know, you, you have this, you know, I'm a Bible-believing Christian, but, you know, that's just an empty signifier. All you have to do is say it. You don't have to actually have read the Bible. <laughs> I mean, I've actually read it. And I actually love it. And I actually read it every day. And uh, so, you know, we live in the Gospels. I mean, I mean, our churches, you know, we... You know, Old Testament, New Testament epistles, but man, we we are we do prioritize the gospels. Mm. We really do. Uh, I'm not making a necessarily a well, maybe I am. I don't know if I'm making a theological statement or not. I'm just telling you where the primary source of our preaching is grounded. And uh we just we we let Jesus take the stage every Sunday and be the hero. Mm-hmm. And that seems to that seems there 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 is an attraction there. J- Jesus is infinitely fascinating. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. America's passed through this period of time where let's just say let's just say the evangelical church has embarrassed itself in the way that it allowed itself to become essentially the religious wing of the Republican Party, and then. And then, you know, tried to present Donald Trump as some sort of, you know, a man sent from God. Here's the thing. Non-Christians, people that say, no, I am not a Christian, I identify as not a Christian, they know that has nothing to do with Jesus. Mm-hmm. They know that. We don't even have to tell them that. Jesus somehow is above the fray. And they, I mean, people just instinctively know I may not be interested in Christianity. I certainly am not interested in that kind of Christianity, but I know this much. They don't know anything about Jesus. Yeah. And so if if you can capture their man, that's the Jesus I want to talk to you about. The Jesus that is above all of that. And that's the one people are people are interested in Jesus. People mm-hmm. the, they they may be completely turned off by the church, not at the least bit interested in Christianity, or so they would say. But Jesus still has an allure. And and that's 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 why I say play the Jesus card as much as you can. And you say which Jesus? I say it'll shake out. You know, just stand Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and you'll realize, you know, that Jesus isn't, you know, an NRA MAGA. You know, he's not that. And neither neither is he a, you know, quasi-Marxist or something. He's not that. Jesus can stand on his own, and he can speak for himself. And our job is to sort of tell the Jesus story, which is what the gospel is. It's just the story. And, and kind of try to stay out of the way. Just... Keep telling the story of Jesus and then step back and let Jesus win the day. I mean, that may sound simplistic, but I don't know. It's, it's how it's how I've led a church for over 40 years now. And, and we went, yeah, we went through a hard time and lost a lot of people, but we survived. And and now we're on the other side of that and, and life's good. So, John, you, you started off by you know, kind of painting the bleak picture of where we are on so many issues today. And uh, we ask, what do we have to offer? I, I, I find more and more um, Jesus is is the, our the, our hope, and and people people are 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 just despairing increasingly as they you know, it maybe it's the climate thing or the AI thing or the threat of nuclear war or you know the, it, 
what's going on in Gaza right now could spread, you know, further. I mean, it, we're, there's a lot of things to be in despair about. And and the more that happens, the opportunity that presents is, is, is this other hope. And throughout the New Testament, I mean, it, it's eschatologically oriented. Uh, we're the people of the future. Uh, and the mm-hmm. hope is that God's going to make the world right. And there's coming a time where it, his love is going to conquer all. His, it will purge and and. and the world will be the way that God dreamed it to be, and that way you've always known it should be, and 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 so there's a hope, and, and at that point, you know, Paul talks about the, like, the groaning creation, uh, it, it, it's suffering in labor pains right now, um, and and we also suffer with it, but the thing is, is that labor pains give birth to something else, and so it's a way of reframing all the crap of this world. It's nasty, but we're on a team. We're giving birth to something else. And we get the privilege of being the, the ones to declare it ahead of time, the first fruits, like we talked about earlier, uh, to be living out that hope. And uh, um, and so the fact that they're, they have a hope for the world and that they get to join something that is is um, uh, that's declaring that and that can make it's going to, in the end, win. <laughs> this is the one hope of the world is that it's in Jesus Christ and the body that he has you know, brought through his death and resurrection. And it ultimately is about living out that self-sacrificial, other-oriented, servant-like, humble love. That's what's going to transform the world. Uh, not the big programs and policies. It's that love. Yeah. You, I would say uh, a, um, I was at a pastor's, sorry, it was, it was a church conference back in January of 2020. And I had the privilege and honor of listening to a pastor by the name of Daryl Johnson. He, he had this really, really interesting sermon he preached that just caught my imagination. Because in it, he said that the primary, most urgent task of the church in this age is to learn to see apocalyptically mm. in the truest sense of the word, the unveiling of seeing mm-hmm. what, is, what is actually going on. And you speak about this, Greg, you, you were just sharing about like this idea of we are the first fruits. We have the announcement of hope. There's a, a prophetic quality. There's something that we hold, a treasure hidden in jars of clay. Um, I'm wondering if if either of you could help us. What does it mean to be that kind of presence in the world? How do we, as pastors and leaders, speak apocalyptically? How do we actually see what's going on? in a bigger sense of the, of the divine narrative of Christ has died, Christ has risen and Christ will come again. Mm. Uh, that, that's a good question. I think Brian's just biting at the bit to answer. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, 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 I'll say that, that is the question I've been li- living in more intensely in the last two years. I, I just kind of rediscovered the apocalyptic, how, how thoroughly apocalyptic the new Testament is. And I think it's because when I first became a Christian, you know, it was all about the end of the world, Head Lindsay, Lake Ray Planet Earth, yep. Henry Kissinger was the Antichrist. We had it all figured out. And when I grew out of that, I I, I didn't want anything to do with the book of Revelation. I just, you know, it was mm-hmm. and, and even talking eschatology that Jesus return and all of that. Yeah, it's there, but I never but just because of how things are right now happening to the world, it's kind of reawakened in me this the importance of having all your hope in this basket. I mean the, the the, the appearing or the second coming, however we want to put it, the manifestation, the different terms are used, but somehow Jesus return where the world's going to be made right. And um, that's just taking on a new vibrancy. So that's why I say you're asking, I think that the actual, the absolute right question. 
And uh, it's one that I'm living in. Uh, and it's all, how do you authentically be the already midst the not yet? The first fruit in an unripened harvest. You know, light in the midst of darkness. So having set the stage, I'll turn it back over to Brian. Well, I mean, in one sense, a response to the question is you go to the apocalypse. Mm. The apocalypse, you go to the book of Revelation. Now, again, I understand this is problematic. Uh, if if I could be like the Pope of the Protestant world, I would say you have to obtain a special license before you can preach from the book of Revelation. <laughs> you got 65 books. I love that. Yeah. <laughs> you have to take this safety course. <laughs> exactly. Well, good thing I am the Pope and I'm preaching on the book of Revelation, so I got to cover it. There you go. So, so but, you know, it, it is certainly the most misunderstood misused abused book you know in the history of the church and that's not that's, that's not necessarily anything new you can see uh bernard of clairvaux using the book of revelation to you know preach his pro crusade sermons and 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 finding hidden messages in there about islam and you know this is in the you know the, the 13th or 12th century so this has been a problem but it's not irredeemable I mean, once you really approach the book of Revelation correctly and understand what it is and isn't, uh, it's, it's, I mean, I believe the Holy Spirit actually did say, this is how we're going to close the canon. And, uh, you know, so I recognize, I recommend Richard Bauckham, Theology of Revelation. Um, who's the guy that, uh, Michael J. Gorman, Reading Revelation Responsibly. Uh, Eugene Peterson's The... Um, uh, what's Strange book thunder? Book? Was it something? Yeah, reverse thunder. Ah, reverse and then, thunder. And then, and then, you know, a little shameless plug. My book, Sinners in the Hands of a Loving God, has three chapters on the Book of Revelation, and um, once you kind of get the key to to understanding, you know, the symbolism and what's going on here, uh, it, it's it's a beautiful text to work from, and it's it's highly appropriate. I mean, in one sense. If you're going to speak to Christians living in the midst of an empire, in the midst of 21st century Babylon, Revelation is the book for you. You'd be a crumbling empire. You could do it right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah one, one way of answering that question, how do you be apocalyptic? It, it, it's just helping people get free of all the false hopes they have. Mm. Now, that's what's Come becoming on. easier in our age uh, as, as the hopes are dying. Um, it's easier to point out that, well, that was never our hope anyways. You know, it, you know Jesus, in Matthew 24, there's a point where you know, the, the disciples look at the temple of Herod, and they're so impressed by this magnificent monument. And Jesus says, you know, there's not going to be one brick left on, on top of yeah. the other. And it's like talking about this giant religious, you know, incredible edifice. And he's like, no, that's just, a, don't put your hope on that. It, it, even that's just dust. It's all going to turn to dust. Uh, your hope is in Jesus Christ and uh, in uh, living out his body. I appreciate, Greg, that, that you named that, that part of the task is helping people be aware of the false hopes that they have, the false yeah. narratives. And that goes back to Revelation because yeah, the whole thing is the deception, you know? And it just struck me that, like, in our age of post Christendom, in our age of secularism in the Charles Taylor sense that like, there's all that, that Nova effect that Charles Taylor talked about that we, we try to create meaning within the absence of meaning. And like Henry Nouwen talked about that, that the lies of the modern age is that I am what I do. 
I am what others say or think about me. I am my best moment. I am nothing more than my worst moments. All these like identity statements that I think perhaps my generation, I'm a millennial and the generation after me, they're seeing the false promise of it. They're, they're saying if if my identity and f- of who I am, if the hope I have is to have a house and kids and a white picket fence, I may not even have that. And and there seems to be a nihilism that's setting in there. I I I, I, I and that's just exactly it. And so we talk about you know what does it mean to be Christocentric, to be Christ centered. Mm-hmm. Nowhere is it more important than when we're talking about who are you. You know because. Yes. Yeah, the whole goal of discipleship is to integrate the truth about what God has done for you and said about you in Christ Jesus, and now to start to be transformed by the renewing of your mind and cultivating that in your spirit, being transformed by that whole thing, um, uh, to get rid of your false identity and find your true identity in Christ, which is what happens throughout the book of Revelation with the sword that comes out of Jesus' mouth. He slays all the false kings so that they can discover what it is to be a true king under Christ Jesus. And then they bring the glory of their nations into the uh, New Jerusalem. But yeah, um, Right, let's give Greg a license. <laughs> There's you a, got it. <laughs> Greg passed the test. You I heard it, it here, folks. Well, Brian has, 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 has right, he got the uh, Brian's on uh, School of Revelation training certificate <laughs> right here. There you go. There but, you go. But how do you how do you sustain how do you sustain the hope? Because this this is the like we are people of hope in a hopeless culture. Oh. That's that when when a culture doesn't have hope it diverts into distraction or cynicism yeah. and or, or nihilism, yeah. right. Which is a, you know, harder, harder version of cynicism. And like this question's for you, Brian, because I think this is kind of part of your calling and project that you keep scratching at, which is the, to sustain this hope. Uh, what what does the church have to offer in this in this sustenance of hope? Because uh, even in the church, we tend to put our hope in something other than the sustenance of Christ. So progressive churches put their hope in a world made just, right, and a world made equitable and included of everybody. And the you know conservative church puts their hope in the winning of culture wars and the taking back of America and the traditional values ensconced again. And so they're putting their hope outside of Jesus. And so then we get hopeless or we double down because those people are fueling our hope by their words, and what they represent to us, but we're not hoping in Jesus. So how do we sustain hope in Jesus? Well, I have an answer. And I'm afraid, I mean, as soon as I give you my answer, it's going to be misconstrued, but then I'm going to construe it. (laughs) (laughs) Reconstrue. The answer, I mean, when you talk about hope, in the New Testament, what word is connected with hope is heaven. And so what we're talking about is heaven. We've kind of lost heaven. Uh, now I, I I know what happened. I know I know that that heaven kind of degenerated in this pie in the sky. I'll fly away when I die in the sweet by and by way out there somewhere. Oh and so we have no concern for the earth, and it's all going to burn. And we're we're conspirators with ravaging the planet. I don't mean that. 
I don't mean that. I do mean uh, the writer of Hebrews says, you know, here we have no enduring city. And heaven is is not a distant place. It's a different dimension. It's right here. Heaven is the place of the throne of God at which Jesus Christ sits at the right hand. But he's also, and behold, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Jesus isn't out, you know, you go out to Neptune, take a left, you can't miss. Heaven's right here. It, it is that other space that is right here that we get glimpses of, and we are to be in anticipation of, but um, if, if we lose sight of heaven as Christians, then we're in the same boat as the rest of the world, and we are eventually going to despair. Because uh, we're going to put our, we're, well, we'll put our faith in technological progress, but it turns out the robots are going to kill us <laughs> or whatever. And uh, so I'm, my project right now is to re-enchant the Christian soul with heaven. And uh, I think one of the, you know, C.S. Lewis, this is something that he did so well. And it's interesting, you know, I read all of C.S. Lewis when I was a kid. I mean, I, I came to Jesus as a teenager, and that was one of the first things that you get into it. For me, anyway. And so I read all of C.S. Lewis, essentially. I mean, not his academic work, but his Christian work as a teenager and maybe into my 20s. And then I kind of thought I was done. And I am kind of done with C.S. Lewis. And now in my 60s, <laughs> I've returned and, and I thought, oh, I only thought I knew. I only thought I understood Lewis when I was, you know, 18. You know, now that I'm 64 and I'm rereading The Abolition of Man or some of his and, you know, the, the Space Trilogy or even the Chronicles of Narnia, which I got sitting right there. It, it's like, oh, this is a guy that that saw that modernity was, in fact, uh, robbing Christians of a heavenly hope. And he's trying through both his 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 nonfiction and his fiction to restore that hope within the Christian soul. So, I mean, th this is something that would take a whole hour for me to try to unpack, or and I'm not sure that I'm quite ready to do all that yet. But but I am also confident that I'm on the right track when I talk about the the, vi the heavenly vision really needs to be once again reestablished in the Christian soul, and that's what will reenchant us. Is that what you mean by thick? thick Christianity, because you use that term and you contrast it with veneer and thin, thin Christianity. But is is that a part of thick Christianity? Is that connected to hope? Yeah, I think it is. I mean, in the well, by thick Christianity, I probably mean something that's theologically robust, because let's face it, we, we've really lost that, especially in the American context, where where America where in in North America Christianity became a commercial enterprise, and that's why it was so common. You'd see you'd see celebrity pastors were always reading business books, and that made perfect sense for them because that's kind of the model they had for their church. It was kind of a, a business. Right. Um, and then, you know, when I, as a pastor, was reading philosophy, I'd have all these other pastor friends laugh at me and think that's funny. Well, no, this is what pastors traditionally had done. You know, the pastor was the guy in town that had read some philosophy and knew how to think and some things like that. 
And so for me, uh, thick Christianity at least means having some serious, robust theology and not just regarding Christianity as a commercial enterprise where we model ourselves <laughs> after corporate America. Yeah, that's helpful. Greg, like, what would you say to that? Like, what, what do you I, think I, is a thick it, Christianity? I have a totally the same experience as you with C.S. Lewis. Uh, I've been, uh, I just found it, it, over the last, Every time I've gone back to him, I realize I didn't understand the first time or I didn't understand me adequately. I just reread Abolition of Man. Whereas, I did too. So profound. That book is so profound. Profound and prophetic, you know, on, and on technology and all the rest. I mean, it, it was just uh, yeah, brilliant. And on heaven, I thought it, the, it, the Great Divorce it was it's just... Uh, yeah, Great Divorce is one of my all-time favorite books. But here's The Abolition of Man. I just, I mean, it's, this is <laughs> my go. stack of books I'm using for what I'm working on writing now. And that here's another one. We'll just, we're just a little show and tell here. <laughs> the, book, the Medieval Mind of C.S. Lewis by mm. Jason Baxter. Ah, nice. I read that one. Okay, the only <laughs> thing I'd add about when it comes to sustaining hope... Um, uh, I, you know, I, I, having a, a, a real good, attractive, compelling vision of where you're heading is, is, is helpful. But even how do you sustain that when there's so many forces uh, in, in our world that are pulling in a different direction? And I'm convinced you cannot do it without community. Uh, that, 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 and by community, I don't mean just a place to go in a building with a bunch of people once a, a week. But where you're having lives intersecting, yeah. we are just we're, we're creatures. We gravitate to whatever narratives are around us. It, it, you know, it, it, we just tend to be a narrative absorbers. And, and and so we're like the ancient Israelites. They're always like, oh, here's a new idol to grab onto. And, and the only way to, to resist that, I mean, to have a compelling vision of Christ, a compelling vision of heaven, all that, but to have a community that's always reinforcing that and living in that narrative. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I think, and that's one of the things that, you know, about the Jesus Collective that I really, you know, think you really good on emphasizing the need for that community and uh, people's to be involved in one another's lives, uh, encouragement and accountability and all the rest. It's it's amazing that you, you started speaking about community because that's exactly where I wanted to go <laughs> next. Cause I, I've actually been thinking a lot about community, especially in the context of we're living right now in what some are calling a crisis of loneliness that mm-hmm. loneliness is it's an affliction of our modern age and it actually has huge medical and sociological consequences it, it they say it's equivalent of smoking like a pack of cigarettes a day like yeah. that's what loneliness does to us mm-hmm. and i think like i'm hearing all sorts of longings for it and i had this experience just this week i was i was in a starbucks drive through it's, you know, the second best for me. I, I prefer like, you know, a niche third wave coffee place, but, you know, in a pinch, uh, I can go to Starbucks. Board the storm, huh? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm sitting in the drive-thru and I get to the pay, like the, the till there. And on the outside of the window, you know, it closes. She takes my payment and I'm waiting for my coffee and I'm reading a sign. And the sign on the window says, thank you for being a part of our community. Hmm. And I just sat with that. And I was like, I only show up here when I need something, <laughs> right? You're just, I'm paying you. I don't know your name. I don't know your story. You don't know my name, although they do ask for it. Um, they do ask for your name all the time. I don't know what that's about, uh, but they don't know my life story. And yet we're so comfortable calling those things community. And I wonder if it's like a shale, like a, a, sh- a pale imitation 
it's that thinness we're speaking of. I wonder it's, it's if there's it's, yeah. it's it's people we profoundly lack belonging. I mean, it yeah. is it's a real crisis in America. And it's it's why I'm a little bit I mean, somebody's going to say that I'm defensive because I'm a pastor and this is my, my vocation. I don't think so. Uh, just a relentless attack upon the church uh, eventually irritates me because I actually know some real churches. Mm -hmm. yep, that's I can it. tell you the people. I can tell you the names of the people. I'm not going to say their names because they might, who knows, they might stumble on this. But who, who, this is, Word of Life Church is where they find dignity and respect and friendship and they matter. And people are going to sincerely ask, how are you doing? And, and, and they want to know. And if things aren't well, then they, they want to know that too. And they want to help you. And, um, I mean, I can't. I don't know anything like the church, really, where where it's healthy. Where, you know, at its best, where people from an entire you know, well, you want to talk about political spectrum or socioeconomic spectrum or educational spectrum or whatever, can come together in the same place. I mean, I'm friends with people. I mean, people that I know their story and love and care. That if it weren't for the church, we'd have never spent two minutes together. That's right. Mm -hmm. But yeah. instead, we spent decades together. And I, just, I, I don't know. Um, a coffee shop is not going to do that. Okay. Um, a, a common interest club is not going to do that. I mean, as good as those things may be, that may help people with loneliness. I get that. But but the church is where, man, pretty much anyone can just come and be a part. And if you'll, if it's if it's a healthy church and you'll stick it out, you'll end up with friendships that will sustain you through hard times because we can bear almost anything. If we can do it in the companionship of our friends, if we can do it together as a as a as a band of friends, we we can bear a lot. But if we're all alone, those things can crush us pretty quick. Mm. Yeah, I think this is one of the 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 genius like with unite where we're really answering asking the question if we're crazy helpful for the church, which we are like. This is what Jesus Collective is ridiculously hopeful for the church. I understand and, there are toxic churches. I get. It. I, want, yes. I want to be clear that I understand that. And we know that we know that uh, we're not all getting it right, and our, ourselves included. But when we look at like what is the genius that the church has to offer our moment and our time, I think this community genius is is a is a say a, a forgotten gift that we have to give if we would just dial up and articulate more clearly what the possibility of what we do on a good day what we do in our sleep this what you're what you're saying is like oh that's only what the church has been doing at its best for 2000 years that's all mm. yeah. that our culture's just forgot is is possible <laughs> you know don't you find that and maybe this is Woodland Hills, but I doubt it. But that in this American context, like a lot of folks are okay coming to a building uh, with a couple hundred other people there, a couple thousand, however big your church may be, um, and and but they remain pretty much anonymous, and and they get whatever they get out of the worship, they get whatever out out of the sermon, 
and and they but they stay kind of their individual Christians. They may have a friend or two or whatever, but there's nothing like it, we, our biggest challenge has been getting folks out of the individualism uh, and and to be thinking, uh, see the need for their for community, and then helping them get in the communities where there's real life stuff happening. Because it, it doesn't seem like in in the big gathering, as good as that may be, and, and as welcoming yeah. as it may be, that you can't go deeper with people in that kind of a group setting. Uh, and and without having someone there to go deeper, you can't really get at a lot of life issues and a lot of the, you know, the discipling transformation that needs to take place. I've just been, yeah, I, I'll tell you, I, I you know, Paul several times uh, comments about how he's labored uh, to present folks. Uh, he says, I must present you uh, blameless on that day. And it, it's like, he, there's like he's, a, he's worried there, like, you guys shape up, because something about my next I'm aligned. And I don't know how that's going to work eschatologically, but I do feel like this weight, the, our, the whole goal, he never worries about how many people he got, he worries about the quality. And mm -hmm. and uh, that's the hardest thing to get. The quantity is easy, competitively speaking. And after 32 years of ministry, we haven't figured it out yet. Mm -hmm. uh, and Brian, when you do, send me the book. <laughs> <laughs> We haven't figured it out. I mean, I, and it's something that as a team we work on. I mean, you were just in any of our meetings. We talk about this constantly, how to get more people involved, how to, how to help foster friendships and small groups. And, you know, the, you know, the drill we do, and we do all that. And we, but we also understand you can't make it happen for everyone. Um, no, uh, there are people, I think, who, who, if I can say this, I think there are people that that isn't a, a real big need in their life. Yeah. And so I'm not going to try to force. They, they, they like coming to our Life Church. They like what we do for an hour and 15 minutes or something happens on Sunday morning, and then they're out the door. And they seem, if they're fine with that, then I'm not going to badger them too much. But but I want to maybe help them aspire to something else, or if if they are cognizant of a deeper need for some more human connection, then let's help facilitate that for people. But I think there are people that maybe maybe they've got a network of family or friendship that's kind of not necessarily directly connected with the church, and so maybe so I don't want to badger them either. So mm. I, 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 I do think it's the people. <laughs> it's the bringing together of the of the difference that I see this like in my own church. Uh, you know, I'm friends with people that if it wasn't for Jesus, we would have no business being in the same room together or being friends. And in the splintering of our culture, I think the church has this capacity to do something that doesn't happen anywhere else. Uh, that's not bringing people together around some kind of product. Uh, or consumeristic vision, but is bringing them together around true humanity. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm curious if that's something that uh, this Jesus center movement can reamplify as, as a way that we have a gift to give. In this well, moment. I, I, I really hope so because, it, and I, I, I'm sure that we do because it, it's, uh, the group, the thing that keeps that from happening is all the ideologies that divide us. But if you're truly focused on Christ, it creates a space where people from all those different places can come. And uh, and, and you're right, they never otherwise would be, you know, uh, uh, mixing it up. And people from different cultural and ethnic backgrounds. And, and, and to begin to discover the beauty of that, 
because um, it's happening less and less. So we're getting siloed. But you see the beauty of, of, of uh, and even like if the church could, and this is one that, that we're wrestling with right now, because um, we want to do it prior to our election, but we be a community that is so centered on Jesus that when we do talk about the really divisive stuff out in, in, the, in, the, in the broader culture, we do it in a Jesus-loving, respectful, humble kind of a way. Because mm-hmm. if we could model that, no one out there has got it figured out. It, it, how do we keep America from going down the tube? We're just, you know, civil wars are on the end. But if the church could model that, oh, uh, that would be beautiful. Now, unfortunately, I don't think most churches could. But uh, that that's kind of you're talking about. But you want to be a contrast society? Man, we, if we could contrast on that one, oh, that'd be brilliant. Yeah. We got to try. We got to try. I'm going to shift yeah. us slightly to the left or right, whatever you want to choose. And I don't mean that politically. Careful, careful. <laughs> I don't mean that politically at all. I'm a Canadian. I could care less. You know, just, you need your um, left. It's true. It's true. It's true. I'm curious as we look at this big thing that Jesus is doing in the world, he's calling all people to himself. He, he's working towards the restoration of all things. And I'm curious as we step into that and this response that we're hearing almost rumors and whispers that Aslan is on the move. Um, you know, like last year, who would have thought that a bunch of Gen Z kids would just be praying in repentance in Asbury and like this amazing move of God happened, or at least a sense of a, of at least a, a returning to Jesus once again. I'm curious what you guys see um, as we think about this. What do we mean by reformation? If we're saying there's some, you know, some refining at work, where's that going? What's what's going to be ahead of us towards that? Uh, you know, I, I, I used to think I could answer that question. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, uh, it, it, but Everything, the world is changing so fast. Uh, and um, I, I'm of, a, you know, the, the analogy I've always liked to use with regard to the, what I think is happening on the globe is it, it's, it's analogous to like the, the old movie with Richard, Richard Dreyfus, The Close Encounters of the Third Kind. And these folks, if they ever had any kind of encounter with these aliens, they had this compulsive, they were paying a plateau or they're doing it with their mashed potatoes. There's a plateau, something about a plateau. And a few of them were lucky enough to find their way to the, this actual plateau that, that this is all drawing towards. I think that's what the Holy Spirit's doing. Uh, and there's this uh, new thing centra- centered on Jesus and the, the church isn't about all these other kind of things. And, um, and we're just kind of waking up to that. And I feel like we're at the stage of the movie where no one's actually made it to the plateau yet. And we're not really sure what's going on, but we're mm. kind of getting in trucks and finding our way there. We're going in the right direction, but it's, I don't know how this is all going to look uh, in the future. Um, any more than I know what the second coming is going to look like. I think it's just going to be as surprising to us as was his first coming. Yep. <laughs> no one really recognizes it right off the get-go, you know? Uh, but um, yeah, so I, 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 I think it's going to look more humble. It's going to look more Jesus-like, uh, a whole lot less triumphant um it's going to be smaller but i think it's going to be vibrant and uh yeah and spirit-filled that's my my hope i think greg and i are sensing the same thing and i'm not i'm not wanting to try to cast a big vision um 
I mean, in the my most recent book that is out there, When Everything's on Fire, uh, I work quite a bit with Carl Rahner, who mm-hmm. in 1971 said, the Christian of the future will be a mystic, or they will cease to be anything at all. Now, a couple of things about that. First of all, what Carl Rahner called the future in 1971 is what we call today. Yeah, right? the present. I mean, mm. the future that Rahner was talking about is what we're living in right now. But he, but on, a, but also the context in which he he was he said that in reference to the charismatic renewal. Mm. Carl Rahner, you know, was a Catholic, uh, but you know, the, there was there was a tremendous move of the, the, the charismatic movement yeah. had a tremendous influence on the Catholic Church. The current Pope is a product of the charismatic Catholic yeah. movement. And, um, you know, and I, I mean, that's where I come from. And it's interesting. It, I mean, I've, I've had this thought so many times that so many of our best theologians have some charismatic Pentecostal background. They, okay. they may have kind of tried to disown it, but it's there. <laughs> yeah. It's still in their background. Yeah. And um, it's in your guys' background. Like when well, you guys. I, I came from the Jesus movement yeah. and that led me into the charismatic movement, which yeah. I describe as good until it wasn't. Yeah. And I, you know, I had to move on from that at some point. Maybe I should have done it a decade sooner than I did, but, you know, it's what it is. It's the story. And yet, th- th- this is where I want, this is the point I want to make that uh, Jesus is risen from the dead. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> and Jesus has ascended to the heavens and he fills all things everywhere with himself. And what I'm saying is, is that Jesus can be experienced. Come on. And you can't manipulate it. You can't, you can't like control it, but you can witness to it. And you can invite people to seek Jesus with an expectation that in some way they will experience this risen Lord. And um, my experience has been that, that people are very open to that. And that unless they're like a, a committed, angry atheist, which usually there's a whole story why they blended there, usually involving pain and lots of other things. Um, People hope that's true. It, 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 people want to believe they can experience God. They really do. And and if you can, and if a person trusts you to a certain extent, if you will just tell them, and you're not, you're not, you're not trying to, you don't have an agenda, you're not trying to sign them up for anything. If you will tell them some of your your own story of experiencing God in some way or another, they're very interested. And if they really trust you. If you ask them, have you ever had something in your life where you thought maybe maybe that's God? Most most people have a story, yeah. And uh, that's where I think that's where a lot of our hope lies is to is to to speak to that and and get you know get all that uncoupled from this mess of a political agenda. Just talk to people about the possibility of actually experiencing Christ, and you'll be surprised how many people are open to that and interested in that. I think that's really where our, our future and our hope lies, is there. You know, you're absolutely right, and 
that's actually biblical. <laughs> uh, I mean, the, so the apostle <laughs> Who Paul, thought? Uh, he's talking to the folks on Mars Hill. He, he sees all their idols. Uh, and of course, to a Jew, that'd be so offensive. But he doesn't rail at all the things he didn't like about him. There's one to an unknown idol, uh, unknown God. He goes, can I talk mm-hmm. to you about that one? And, and it, so you're now you find something positive. Or you're acknowledging that you don't know all the things. And uh, um, uh, so instead, like instead of trying to make something happen, look for what God's already doing. That's like the, the spirit's already out there. Uh, God's reconciling all things by the by the uh, by means of the blood of the cross and everything in heaven and on earth. So that rec- God's already out there. And I think our job is to like. Since we know what we're looking for, uh, look for where that's happening, where people are having some kind of experiences, uh, where, and find connecting points with the culture and uh, build the gospel off of that. Amen. I think, I think that's, I think that's our hope. You know, kind of speaking for Jesus Collective, the name of our conference, Unite, is we're starting it with the prophetic church. And it's not the prophetic in the sense of we're going to tell you, culture, what you need. It's a prophetic in the sense of, we think that a church renewed by Jesus can surprise the world, but the, mm-hmm. but the surprise would be how Jesus wants to renew us. Mm-hmm. Like there's a prophetic hope that only the Holy spirit can surprise us in how Jesus can renew us as mm-hmm. the church. And that, that means we have to release control, yep. which is a huge barrier to being the mystic. Because I can't be a mystic if I'm trying to control this thing and trying to control the church. So we have to release all that into this space of of the prophetic and let it come to us. I like, uh, Brian, how you talk about we don't get to make this stuff up. We just receive it uh, as it comes to us. And, and then it has to do its work in us. That's why I said I, I used to be able to answer that question. I can't any longer. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. This waiting period. As we uh, as we wind up our conversation today, one, I just want to say thank you so much for, mm-hmm. for pulling up a chair. It's it's just been an honor, and thank you. Um, yeah, and I just uh, I just want to express appreciation for both the ways that you guys are faithful and what Jesus has put in your hand. And and yeah, I know a lot of younger folks like myself. Uh, we're just very thankful for your voice. So I do, I do want to say that. But as thank we uh, as we wrap up, I'm curious, what, what what words would you have for pastors for this year ahead? If you you know, if you you have an open line, what what words of wisdom or insights might you just say for those that are serving week in week out in a local church or ministry somewhere that are listening to this podcast right now? I would say, don't be hard on yourself. Jesus knows that it's hard being a pastor right now. Let Jesus do the heavy lifting. Mm. Uh, just just you know, in your sermons, just find a way to tell the story of Jesus, make Jesus the hero of the story every Sunday, and, and then kind of put it in his hands. And, and if you feel like you're dying <laughs> in the midst of this, then do what Jesus did. Into your hands, I commit this. You know, I mean, that's Jesus comes to the end of his ministry, and in one sense, he's saying, Father, I've done all I can do. Now I'm dying. I put it in your hands. And there's nothing wrong with that. Jesus, I put it in your hands. And, but I would, the main thing I would say is don't put too much pressure on yourself. Don't be too hard on yourself. Uh, Just, just lean into being faithful and, and telling the Jesus story and saying, 
that's the best I can do and, and, and be at peace. Amen to all that. Um, I, I guess I, I would just add, I, I think that, I mean, part of that is, is to say, uh, I guess I put it like major in the major, minor in the minors. A, a lot of reasons why I feel that people put so much on themselves is because there's so many things. I, I just, it, like, the older I get, uh, the more I am just aware of how much of ministry in the past was was a waste of time. It, 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 like, it, so I, I just, the, the need to focus on what is really important, yeah. what you're called to do, and let go of everything else. And let go, especially stuff that you might be good at, but the good can be a distraction from the one thing that you're supposed to do, you know? And and, and so staying focused and not, not losing your first love, keep it, so that it's always about a love thing rather than a job or obligation or ought or should or whatever. Uh, the love will sustain you through all the discouraging times, and there are going to there are discouraging times, and it's not I'm, mm-hmm. it's not going to get any better, you guys. <laughs> I really think it's going to get worse. <laughs> I think it gets better, and so you know, it, it really patient endurance is part of this call of the kingdom, right? It, it's you have to have a, a a relationship with Jesus that makes this sustainable, and He's the only one I think that can make it sustainable in a vibrant way. So don't lose your first love; it's all our life from Jesus. Any any quick words on election year leadership? So standing before your congregation on election year, quick words. Don't, don't be drawn in. Let me let me read a Bible verse. Is that all right? Could I actually read a Bible verse? Please do. Oh man! Well, as it says, Pastor, make it again. All right. Kind of guy that's running around all the time, going, "This is the word of the Lord for you." My Lord. Yeah. <laughs> Isaiah 26, 20. I just, I stumbled upon this the other day. I said the other day, it's probably a few months ago, and I just can't get away from it. Come, my people, enter your chambers and shut your doors behind you. Hide yourself for a little while until the fury is past. Ooh, the fury. There's times... Our churches need to be a shelter from the storm. We do not need to be the front lines of the culture wars. People are are enduring that at least six days a week. Let Sunday be a reprieve, and then and then maybe maybe try to pastor people into how to have uh, enough of a prayer life that it can be entering into your chambers and shutting your door, which is a kind of you know that's. That's an echo of what Jesus will then later say, mm. you know, about the nature of prayer. When you pray, you know, go in, shut your door, Father, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. see, see, reward you openly. Hide yourselves for a little while until the fury is past. You know, we we don't we don't we can be a conscientious objector to the culture war. <laughs> I mean, I both Nick and I, you know, believe that the waging of war is incompatible with following Christ, and I think that includes the culture wars. Um, Let's let's adopt a peace position in regard to that, and then try to teach people how to do that. And and don't feel like you have to weigh in on it, and don't feel like you have to to bring political energy into Sunday morning. Just you don't have to do that. You can still be faithful. You can still have a have a gospel that is relevant without it appearing that you have to try to somehow direct people's political minds one direction or the other. I just think that is we don't need to do that you've got one lord and uh that's the one that we trust in and that's the one we be live by and uh 
uh, and we're ambassadors here in this country. And yeah, they ask us our opinion, give your opinion, fine. But they're not your lord, they're not your ruler. And in a real sense, I don't have a president. I don't care who's in office, because my president's Jesus. And so, uh, and he tells me to obey the laws of the land and the rulers, so I'll go along with that. But uh, in, the, in the end, my lord, who is the camp of kings and lord of lords and doesn't have to run for election every four years, it's can't be charged with any kind of corruption. Uh, he says, don't let your hearts be troubled. I've overcome the world. And and so have, have a vision Amen. of Jesus as kingdom that's big enough so that when all the things are coming unraveled, your heart is still not troubled. Uh, he's overcome the world. Have you, have preach, you preach it, brother. Amen. Come on. Come on. Well, thank you for listening to our viewing and listening audience. Um, this has been a rich conversation. We really want to make it to Unite this year, if at all possible. <laughs> it's going to rock. Yeah. And and as Greg is saying, you really want to uh, make it to Unite this year. Uh, if you want to hear more from Brian and Greg, they're going to be there. And uh, they'd love to chat with you. And they have something to say that I think will encourage your hearts. If you're looking for that, if you're looking for hope in a weary world, uh, I'd invite you to come check out Unite in April. Uh, we're meeting at Greg Boyd's church. Uh, Greg, uh, what's the address at your church? 1740. Uh, I forget the street, but uh, your Uber driver will know where it is. There you go. Get you there. They'll get you there. And and to join a, you know, it's yes, Greg and Brian, we appreciate you. But this is joining within a a community of people who are failing forward in the same directions, who are trying to preserve the centrality of Jesus imperfectly in their own way. But there's a there's a whole community of people who are asking the questions you're asking, who are wrestling with these things, who need the support uh, that you can give, that you need the support they can give. That to me is the genius of what Unite will be. It, maybe we would be together for a couple of days and be surprised at how Jesus might want to renew us together for the for the road ahead. I I, I just find it's. Uh... When you're out there uh, on your own, it's easy to feel kind of crazy, you know. Mm-hmm. And whenever I've been around the the, the, the uh, Jesus Collective, it just feels like it's the tribe. It's like, okay, I'm not nuts, or if I am, at least I got a lot of friends who are nuts. <laughs> so come and be nuts with us, you know, and and dream big dreams and look crazy. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. Plus, it's a whole lot of fun. <laughs> we really have a lot of fun. Yeah, bears. Well, there you go, guys. And girls, they're listening in. Here's to keeping Jesus at the center. God is at work raising up a movement of churches, ministries, and disciples all around the world that are passionate about advancing a more united and hopeful, Jesus-centered, Jesus-looking kingdom. If you're a listener today, I'm sure you can see and feel that. So... Can I ask you today if you'd help us amplify this Jesus-centered movement? Can you share the podcast, blog, and social media channels? We are on a mission to equip a centered set vision of a church renewed by Jesus by investing in the renewal of its leaders. Would you consider making a financial investment in Jesus Collective today? Is anything stopping you? If not, go to JesusCollective.com. Your investment means we can advance and amplify this Jesus-centered movement, investing in pastors and Christian leaders globally. Hey, and don't forget to make sure to check out our website for upcoming events. We've got a ton of great things happening.